Welcome to Purdy's Podcast. Today we're studying pre-Columbian civilizations like the Olmecs, Maya, and the Aztecs. So let's get started. Dear class, although you've doubtlessly covered this material in past classes, I've written this letter to you on pre-Columbian civilizations in Latin America. Indigenous peoples learned to live with the extreme terrain and climate challenges in Central and South America long before Christopher Columbus discovered the New World, and so we'll discuss the Olmecs, Maya, Aztecs, and so forth in this letter. Their natural challenges to human settlement of Latin America. The major civilizations in Central and South America grew up pretty much in the same places over and over again. The central plain of Mexico, the valleys just east of the Andes Mountains on the Pacific coast of Peru and other countries, the Atlantic coastal plain in Brazil, where Rio de Janeiro and Sao Paulo are, and the valleys of central Chile just inland from the Pacific coast. The main exception is the Maya, who built a fantastic culture even while living in a land with poor soil quality and a muggy tropical climate. Quite a lot of South America is not great for city building and agriculture. Unlike in Africa with the Nile and Niger River valleys, the main rivers in South America, including the Amazon River, do not lead travelers and traders to many useful places. Further, there are high and treacherous falls in the Amazon River network. Large deserts take up a lot of room in Central and South America, too. Even in Mexico, there is a large desert just south of El Paso, Texas, and Ciudad Juarez, Mexico, which is part of the Chihuahua Desert. The Patagonian Desert, located mainly in Argentina and a little bit in Chile, is the fourth largest desert in the world. South America also has a mountainous spine, the Andes, all along the Pacific coast, and there isn't much land on the coast before it rises dramatically up high. This is great for wonderful vistas and selfies, but not so great for farming and building cities on nice flat spaces, like Los Angeles is built in the LA Basin in our lovely smog-capturing bowl. There are lots of volcanoes in Central and South America too, and they are a dramatic feature of Mexico's geography. There's a line of volcanoes in Southern Mexico that has historically cut off the civilizations of the Central Plain of Mexico, the Mexican Altiplano, from the rest of Central America. Mexico in itself has a huge range of climates and features. It gets grassier, greener, and lusher the farther south you go, for one thing. Also, even though much of Mexico is in a tropical zone, the Central Plain, where Mexico City is today, and the Aztecs, etc., lived in the past, is on elevated ground on a plateau of sandstone, and this height helps keep temperatures lower and more comfortable. The soil on the central plain has always been rich and fertile, and so the land has always supported a good-sized population. Early peoples in Mesoamerica, which is Mexico and Central America, archaeologists think people have lived in what is modern-day Mexico for perhaps 20,000 years. They've found artifacts in caves and evidence that people first grew squash, chili peppers, beans, and maize, and began making pottery about 2,500 years ago. 
The peoples of Mesoamerica built complex human societies, even though they had several major problems or weaknesses from the start. First, they never used the wheel extensively, which was a drag on transportation, and limited pottery, too. Second, they had very limited ideas of metalworking, and so when the Spanish came with their sharp steel blades, they had no answer. Third, and importantly, they had no domestic animals except turkeys, which they raised for food. And the Joloitzikuitnili, a breed of hairless dog for companionship. The Olmecs. The Olmecs have been called the mother of high culture in Mesoamerica. And their heyday was from about 1500 BC or BCE to about five, about 400 BC. BC. They were located about halfway between the central Mexico Valley to the Yucatan Peninsula, and they set the table for many other later civilizations in the area. Olmec means quote inhabitants in the land of rubber, as it was a major export of theirs rubber. The Olmecs had lots of little villages with no central authority. Most of the Olmecs were farmers, growing maize, beans, squash, and cacao. You'll notice these things pop up on the dining table for this region throughout this letter. They imported obsidian, volcanic glass, jade, and seashells, and exported quetzalbird feathers. There's a picture below on page three of the letter. Jaguar pelts, crocodile skins, rubber, cacao, and ceramic pottery. The cities of the Olmecs were not large compared to those in Africa or Europe at the time. They were spiritual centers with religious monuments, too. The Olmecs worshipped animals in nature, but also shamans, people who were thought to exist in both the animal and the human world. Some shamans were thought to be were-jaguars, kind of like werewolves, but jaguars. And the Olmecs' most important god was a jaguar-looking rain god, who with his rain showers helped ensure the fertility of the crops. The Olmecs played a religious ball game honoring the jaguar rain god, and this probably involved the human sacrifice of, en of enemy captives as well. Indeed, the Olmecs' calendars, religion, and sacrifices all tied back to rainfall and agriculture. Below, on page four, is one of their giant sculptures located in Veracruz in today's modern-day Mexico. It's unclear exactly why the Olmecs faded from the scene, and their religious rituals were ended. Yet the patterns they established in living and culture, especially their village structure and religion, were long-standing. Teotihuacan. While the Olmecs had been previously, where the Olmecs had been previously, another state nearby, and their city that they built, Teotihuacan grew to be 100 to 200,000 people in size. And by the year 300 Common Era, or AD 300, it dominated the Central Valley of Mexico all the way down to the Maya's former territory. Teotihuacan offered a full urban life and setting with large pyramids and temples at its center and apartments radiating outside the city center for miles. Outward from the Temple of the Feathered Serpent, uh, there's a picture below on page five, ran the Street of the Dead, leading to the Pyramid of the Moon, uh, also on page 5. The city streets were paved, there was a good drainage system, and many beautiful murals were all around of their gods, local animals, and birds. The people spoke Nahuatl, 
which was the li- which was the language later spoken by the Toltecs and Mexica, who became the Aztecs. This great city solidified lots of the cultural and religious practices of the Olmecs and provided an even better example of urban life in central Mexico long before Europeans arrived. On to the Maya. From the Gulf of Mexico into the Yucatan and far into modern Central America, perhaps 10 million people bound by language and religion lived in small villages clustered around religious ritual sites. The most important sites were Palenque, Copan, and Piedras Negras. Just last year in 2018, scientists were using lasers to look into jungles to uncover more and more parts of these sites, showing how complex they really are. Palenque is photographed below on page 6. The Maya's religion was complicated, with gods for all their subregions and for all the natural elements. Their gods were neither good nor evil, but they needed to be pleased and given tribute or they might not help the Maya. Maya farmers grew maize, beans, and squash on soil that was not very fertile at all. As a result, the Maya people were at subsistence level all the time, in constant danger of starvation. The Maya also gathered cassava, a kind of starchy root, and they grew cotton with which they made lovely clothes. The Maya were famed for their accurate calendars, which were based on both the lunar and solar cycles which they used for their sacred rituals. Their astronomical charts were also as accurate as anything in the rest of the world during their golden age, which was from the year AD 250 or 250 common era to around 900. The Maya were skilled in architecture too. For example, building a temple, they built a temple in Tikal, 220 feet high, which is 40 feet taller than the highest Sophia in Constantinople, which is Istanbul today. Cities and towns in Maya areas contain palaces, pyramids, ball courts for the ritual games, houses, and apartments. The Maya were quite warlike with their goal in war to capture enemy warriors to ritually sacrifice for their gods. While they achieved arguably more in many areas than any other pre-Columbian civilization, the Maya wasted away and declined because of constant wars and infighting between their cities, like between Takal and Kalakmal people stopped observing the religious rituals, stopped speaking classical Mayan, and jungles took over the cities and temples, only only to be rediscovered in modern times. And you can see below a map of where the Maya were located uh, in modern-day Guatemala and the Yucatan Peninsula. Okay, class, we'll take a break there. When we come back, we'll discuss the Toltecs, the Aztecs, and we'll go down to modern-day Peru and the peoples of the Andes as well. You're on Purdy's podcast. Hi, class. You're back on with Purdy's podcast. Back to the Central Valley of Mexico and the Toltecs. We can observe a pattern clearly in the Central Valley of Mexico with the rise of the Toltecs, who took over when the the city of Teotihuacan collapsed in power. The Toltecs were basically a group of refugees from the wars over the dying city, and they built, they built their own city at Tula, northwest of Teotihuacan. Around the year 1000 CE, uh, Common Era, or AD 1000, Tula had a population of about 60,000 people, which was larger, larger than any city in Europe besides Constantinople. 
The Toltecs passed along much of their religious and cultural heritage to the Aztecs. We know this because the Aztecs explained this to the conquering Spaniards later on in the 1500s. The Aztecs seemed to look back on the Toltecs with a deep reverence and nostalgia, a past indigenous golden age. Of the Toltecs, they said, nothing was too difficult for them. No place with which they dealt was too distant. The Toltecs grew maize, beans, and squash. See the pattern? And hunted deer and rabbit for meat and traded for pottery, precious stones, and rare bird plumes. They borrowed their religion almost entirely from the previous area civilizations, building temples and great pyramids with soldiers of stone called Atlanteans, pictured below on page 8, and creating ball courts for their ritual games. A major Toltec god, Quetzalcoatl, would play a major part in the Spanish conquest of Mexico in the early 1500s, In these Toltec days, though, around a thousand, Quetzalcoatl, the feathered serpent, was thought to have been a god from the Teotihuacan kingdom who was invited by the Toltecs to come be their main god, and he joined them. Tula fell apart around 1150, and as with other area states, we don't know precisely why. There are mentions in Nahuatl, their language, same as it was for the Aztecs, Poetry that civil war and constant drought sapped their strength and finally broke them. A Nahuatl poet sang of this lost kingdom. Everywhere there meet the eye, everywhere can be seen the remains of clay vessels, of their cups, their figures, of their dolls, their figurines, of their bracelets. Everywhere are their ruins. Truly the Toltecs once lived there. On to the Aztecs. According to their own histories written down by the Spanish conquerors in the 1500s, the Aztecs had originally come to the central valley of Mexico from an island in a lake to the west called Aztlan. Then the war god Huitzilopochtli, which means hummingbird on the left, on the left side, led them to central Mexico, giving them the name Mexicas. It's also pronounced Mexicas, but I say Mexicas just to make the connection with modern-day Mexico. The Mexicas were just a small-time group for many years, building a town on Lake Texcoco, which would become Tenochtitlan, one of the largest cities in the world. Tenochtitlan was a beautiful city with huge temples, canals for irrigation, and floating gardens on the outskirts that shipped food to the city dwellers. The Spanish invaders thought it looked like another Venice, Italy which most of them had also visited, only larger and more glorious. On page 9, there's an image of the city with Lake Texcoco surrounding it. The Aztecs were militaristic, with every healthy man expected to serve as a soldier when necessary. Seizing enemy captives to be human sacrifices or dying in battle were thought to be glorious. Warriors who died as sacrifices or in battle thought that they transformed immediately into hummingbirds, and went to live forever in the sun god's paradise. As one Aztec poet poet wrote, the battlefield is the place where one toasts the divine liquor in war, where stained red the divine eagles, where the jaguars howl, where all kinds of precious stones rain from ornaments, where wave headdresses rich with fine plumes, where princes are smashed to bits. The sun god, according to the Aztecs, needed human hearts, to keep the sun burning every day and human blood to keep the rainfall coming. So the Aztecs warred against their neighbors, 
seizing prisoners to be sacrificed at the Temple of the Sun, usually by having their hearts ripped out by Aztec priests' sharp obsidian or flint blades. As you might expect, the Aztec, Aztec's enemies did not want to all be sacrificed, and so the Aztecs were fighting their bitter foes, the Tlaxcalans and other states, from 1440 up to 1519 when the Spanish invaded. The Aztecs' enemies were quick to join the Spanish in their war against the Aztecs. The Aztecs were skilled in the arts as well as in battle, and were, for example, great sculptors, just as the Toltecs had been. The Malinalco sculptured drum, a war drum emblazoned with Nahuatl text, is a prime example, with a war song on it. The earth shakes, the Mexica begins his song, he makes the eagles and jaguars dance with him. Come to see the Wexonica. On the dace of the eagle, he shouts out, loudly cries the Mexica. This was the glorious civilization brought low by Cortez and his conquistadors and their Tlaxcalan allies, not to mention European diseases like smallpox. <clears throat> Class, let's go down to the Andes Mountains and South America to touch base briefly with the civilizations there. This region of South America has historically been largely separated from the rest of the world because the Andes Mountains cut it off from the east, and much of the Amazon rainforest is over there anyway. Also, the currents and winds at the tip of South America, Cape Horn, have prevented ships from safely turning the corner from east to the western coast of South America until the 1700s, though they managed it often enough in the 1500s and 1600s for the Spanish to explore and settle the coast. The Andes are also unique in that the Pacific coast immediately rises up to steep heights from the coast, with valleys interspersed all throughout that make for good farming. There are many, many microclimates through this Andes region based on rainfall, wind, sun, and altitude, and in many of these small valleys, crops can be grown successfully. At this altitude, the people of the Andes had to rely on their own strength entirely. They had no horses or cattle, just llamas. And llamas couldn't carry people, just stuff. Llamas did provide wool, though, and Andean peoples have masterfully been weaving woolen clothes and other products ever since. Archaeologists point to a temple in Chavin in modern-day Peru as the site of an early civilization that prospered around 2000 BC. The Chavin people wove lovely woolen and cotton items and created gold, silver, and copper jewelry and things, trading these, these materials sometimes all the way east to the Amazon region. Like the Olmecs to the north, the Chavin people worshipped worshipped the jaguar and believed that priests could transform themselves into jaguars while under the influence of hallucinogenic drugs. Jaguars, snakes, and hawks were the main focus of their religion, and they would continue to be worshipped by later civilizations in the Andes as well. Building on the advances of the Chavin people came the Chimu Empire, which developed between A.D. 1000 and 1470, or 1000 to 1470 Common Era, in the Moch Valley in modern Peru. Their llama caravans carrying wool and cotton cloth went up and down the Andes change, chain, 
and their central government constructed canals to distribute fresh water. Another Andean people of note are the builders of Chan Chan. There's a postcard on the below left. A walled city of about 30,000 inhabitants, 10 square miles in size, built on a model we've read about above. A complex of large temples at the center, surrounded by houses of the aristocrats, then regular people's homes on the perimeter. They traded for spandulous shells below, which were high-value ceremonial pieces, also gold and silver. And this city prospered for a long time until the Inca Empire conquered and absorbed them in 1470. Now the Incas... This mighty empire will be given more attention in our next letter, but I'll give a short introduction here. Though we call them the Incas today, they didn't call themselves that name, and the Inca was just the name of their main leader, who was both the political leader and the chief priest all rolled into one. No separation of church and state for the Incas. The Incas built their empire just prior to the arrival of the Spanish, and so were resented by the newly conquered people of the Andes, just as the Aztecs were resented by their own enemies in Mexico. The Incas spoke Quechua, which is still spoken today by millions of South Americans and is an official national language of Peru. Their capital city was Cusco, far inland from the coast, with its major fortress of Sacsayhuaman. There were about 6 million people in the empire by 1500, most of them farmers and peasant laborers, who were required to pay a mita, or tax and manual labor, to the central government in exchange for military protection, road maintenance, and water. The empire was connected by a spidery system of roads from Chile to southern Colombia, traversed swiftly by messengers on foot. Below on page 12 is an image of a modern-day llama caravan winding its way through the Andes. By the 1500s, the empire had grown too large to govern efficiently, and the people were restless, especially in Cusco. Add to that the fact that two leaders in a row died of mysterious diseases. Well, not so mysterious, as microbes from the Europeans reached them before the Europeans actually did, and there was a leadership vacuum among the Incas. And into this mess walked Francisco Pizarro and his men. And that's it for this podcast, Purdy's Podcast, another episode. It's a wrap. Thank you so much and have a great day.